Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Courtney. And this is the Dance Better Podcast. This is our platform to shed some light on the impact that ballet training has on the mental health of both current and former dancers. Together with some amazing experts, we're discovering what things dancers can do to help counteract some of those habits and ideas that might not be serving them. So keep listening to hear real stories from real dancers, mental health professionals, and many more to help you dance better. Hey everyone, today Courtney and I spoke with the amazing Georgia Kenning. Georgia is the founder of Balanced Ballerinas, a podcast, blog, blog, and community dedicated to breaking down the elitist barriers usually associated with ballet and providing a more holistic approach to ballet training. Georgia is also the co-owner and director of GC Dance, which is a studio for school-age students on the Gold Coast in Australia. Georgia shared with us some incredible tips on how she developed her studio culture that fosters inclusivity while maintaining a Vaganova curriculum. Yes, it was a great conversation. And I know you guys are going to get so many awesome tips for your studios. We do want to mention that no one on the show today are health, mental health professionals. And so anything you hear us say are just things from our lives, what worked, what didn't work, but none of that should be considered medical advice. However, if any of the things we share resonate with you, we encourage you to talk to your doctor or click the link in our show notes to find the best healthcare professional for you. We also want to mention anything we say in this podcast is a reflection of our dance experience as a whole and not any one teacher, studio, or company. Secondly, the opinions shared by our guest in this episode are those of our guest and their personal experience from their individual viewpoint. Experiences and opinions shared, while cathartic, are also for a mutual purpose to aid in opening a dialogue about making experiences better for artists everywhere. This was a really enlightening conversation with Georgia today, and we are so excited to share it with you all. Here you go. Hi, everyone. Hey, Courtney. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing so good. And you guys, I'm just so, so excited. My little heart is pitter-pattering. I am so, so happy to introduce to you Miss Georgia Kenning of The Balanced Ballerina. Welcome, Georgia. Hi, Sarah and Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so Thank you for being here. Yeah. Georgia, I've been listening to your podcast. We're going to get into that, but I've been listening to it from the, the very beginning. And I really feel like I have a true podcast celebrity on my show today. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. I'm so flattered. <laughs> well, we're very lucky to have you and uh, we're really excited to hear your story. I'm just as thrilled talking to you guys today. So <laughs> great, mutual. Um, <laughs> awesome. So we're going to just kind of dive right in. And what we'd like to hear at first is just a quick overview of your history in dance, uh, where you started, where you are today, but also kind of scratching the surface of your mental health in different phases of your ballet career and how you became to be the balanced ballerina. Sounds good. Um, do you want me to go right back? Like three-year-old Georgia? Yeah, yeah if you want well, to. I would love to hear it. Sure. <laughs> well, I, I started ballet at the age of three and I lived in a little town in Australia called Ballarat, little country town. And I don't really remember much of my childhood, but one thing I do remember is that I just absolutely adored ballet. So much so that at the age of six, when my parents um, 
moved us all to the sunny Gold Coast, which is in Queensland in Australia, I was more preoccupied with finding a dance school and I didn't care mm. about school. And mum was like, you were driving me insane because you were just like, Georgia, could you just be quiet? We need to get settled and moved. And I'm like, what dance school am I going to go to? And I drove them insane until they finally found me a new dance school. And my story is pretty similar to everyone else's. Like I just went to a local dance school and, you know, really beautiful environment. Um, it's still going today, actually, that school it was called Kayflin Dance Academy. And um, I just adored my dance teacher growing up. And it obviously got to that point where she said, you know, I really think that to my mum that, that Georgia has some potential here and she should be auditioning for this and that. And, you know, without tooting my own horn, like <laughs> whenever I did any competitions <laughs> or anything, I seemed to win. And my mum was so not the dance mum. And she'd be like, I'd go off to a competition. She'd be like, oh, you know, have fun you know, do your best. And then I'd come back and I'd be like, hey, mom, I won this $500 scholarship and this trophy and that. And she'd go, oh, really? Okay, cool. <laughs> so she couldn't care less. She just, you know, as long as I was happy and she knew I was a bit obsessive, um, that that was that. And so um, from there, I joined a full-time dance school. Um, in retrospect, I probably should have stayed with um, the school that I was with because as you guys probably know from tidbits from my podcast the first full-time school I joined was not as professionally run as you would hope um, mm. especially an institution that is uh, looking after young dancers that are still in school um, but then from there, I luckily wasn't there for very long. And then I went down to the Australian Ballet School. So that's where I did um, my final two years of sort of that pre-professional dance life before, before I decided I, it just wasn't for me. And what a lot of people don't realise is one of the reasons I gave up was actually because I, so Aussie Ballet School is located in Melbourne and I used to sometimes skip class mainly jazz because I didn't like doing jazz <laughs> and we hilarious. were made to do yeah and we were made to do it the occasional jazz class down at Aussie Ballet and I uh -huh. would skip class and I would go down to Melbourne Uni Library or the lecture rooms and I would sit in on the back of university lectures didn't matter what the subject was didn't oh matter goodness. what the course was I just loved the vibe of being in a university and being around quotation marks, normal people. And um, I did actually breach the subject with Aussie Valley School about, you know, potentially adding study on to what I was doing. And um, they just, at the time, weren't really into it. But I think today mm. they're a lot more accommodating of that. But back in the day, it was sort of like um, dance or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it got to a bit of a breaking point where my parents just said, look, we're not spending all this money because I was living there by myself. They're like, you know, we're not spending all this money for you to live <laughs> in Melbourne and, you know, pursue your dance career, but then skip class to go to Melbourne Uni and uh, sit in on random lectures. So yeah, that was that. That's so funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. a few other things happened, but, but, you know, that was one of them of just, I really did crave um, just to do a, a couple of the normal things you know, go to prom, finish grade 12. We don't even call it prom here. We call it formal. I don't know why I said prom. Um, <laughs> but 
yeah I don't know it's just it's it's yeah I just I sort of I realized too very quickly that and I still believe this today that you know if you want ballet as a career you know it's something that doesn't really give a lot back to you and you have to give it everything and I just wasn't prepared anymore I'd had I you know once upon a time I was prepared to give it everything but I wasn't prepared anymore to give it absolutely you know my heart and soul so and I think you know it's really important to realize that and and you know go down a different path and then I didn't dance for like two or three years (laughs) nothing yeah Mm -hmm. wow so then um what did where did you did you end up going to the university like what yes what path led you after like that two years and then what happened yeah so I had to finish off grade 12 um because obviously the full-time schools I was part of um you know your education is very limited um I think it's a little bit better today but back in the day you know, you really weren't doing the kind of subjects or the kind of curriculum that is required to get into a university, um, especially in Australia. Our universities are quite hard to get into, especially some of the top courses. And I actually wanted to get into journalism. So I, which is so funny because it's just so full circle <laughs> as podcasters, like you yes. guys would realize this too. You know, you're basically podcasters these days are journalists. Like mm. this is what we do. So it's really funny. I actually tried to get into journalism and for the first time in my life, I didn't get my first preference. I didn't win. I didn't get what I wanted. So yeah, that was a big shock. Um, you know, but I hadn't been in normal school system for years. So when I finally, you know, was thrust back into normal school, actually I'll tell you something funny because I hadn't worn a school uniform for like years (laughs) And I remember when I came, leotard. yes. And I remember coming <laughs> home, coming home from the Aussie Ballet School, and you know, Mum and Dad said, "We just want you to be happy. Pick whatever school on the Gold Coast. We'll send you there." So I actually went to a different school to my brother and sister, and because um, I liked their uniform, <laughs> that's why I picked it. I love so it. This is very, very cute <laughs> navy tunic, go. and I was like, "That's nice." I had a breakdown in a shoe store because I put on school shoes and they are so chunky and so big Mm. and like the complete opposite of a ballet shoe, I guess. Right. (laughs) And I just had an absolute meltdown and was like, I don't want to go to school. I can't stand these shoes. Can I continue doing distance ed? I can't walk around these. And I was clumping around the store, just going, look, mom, look at these. I can't wear these. Can I wear, you know, and I was having an absolute fit in the store over these school shoes. And I think it was, almost encompassing how overwhelming it was, you mm. know, just going back into the schooling system. And yeah. I took it out on the school shoes. Those darn <laughs> yeah, shoes. Those darn shoes. But yeah, so I, I ended up getting my second, after grade 12, I got my second or third, it was either my second or third choice, which was communications. Mm-hmm. So similar to journalism, but it's kind of the degree that a lot of people that wanted to do journalism get into if they don't get their first choice and in communications about year two or three of that study they ask you to either choose journalism or public relations and I actually had no idea I was like well I don't know like I'm a bit torn and I asked them I asked one of my professors which which has the most longevity and which one makes the more money and he goes easy PR (laughs) 
And so I actually chose PR. That's hilarious. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, really, it's, it seems like that choice and then also the, the sort of meltdown that you had with the shoes, the, the shoes were the antithesis of a, a point shoe and then going for the career yes. that has all the money and guaranteed success and like it's the complete opposite of a ballet career so that's very Basically. interesting yeah 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 one of the reasons why I I also you know decided that the professional world of ballet wasn't for me was because when I, I mean, it's really different, isn't it? When you're part of a ballet school, everyone has these beautiful, you know, your beautiful leotards and your hair done immaculately. And there's this expectation that you are groomed to perfection. And then when I went down to the Aussie Ballet School and we share the studios of the company members and they're like little fish bowls. There's all these windows that run along and you can see into every studio. There's absolutely no privacy um, <laughs> unless you pull the curtains down. And then you think, hmm, what's going behind there? And you try even harder mm -hmm. to look and see what's going on. But um, I remember looking into the windows and going, they look so grubby. <laughs> I was so shocked at how these professional ballerinas that I had you know, cut photos out of and stuck on my walls as a child, how they I I remember ringing mum I remember going she's like how's your first week going and I was like mum they look like homeless people <laughs> and that is no offense to professional dancers because yeah. but just imagine like a 15 year old who's you know only seen them in Shrosky crystal encrusted tutus now seeing right. them you know that that look that professional not all professional dancers but that look that is very popular and sometimes adult ballerinas try to emulate mm -hmm. it too yeah it's <laughs> that just that stylized sort of, stylized homelessness yes sort of. you know what oh, you yeah. hit it on the head it's stylish the bag pants I mean yeah it's chic homeless yeah exactly yes. <laughs> and I just went and that's actually when I started questioning I was like how much do ballet dancers make I was like how much do you know, like, and oh, they only make that amount. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So we give up our entire lives and our bodies and, you know, the the future of possibly having children quite easily, you know, because I mean, it's not that long ago, but, you know, back in the day, like there was no paid parental for dancers. It was, oh, you're having a baby? Cool. Well, we'll see yeah. you um, maybe after. <laughs> uh -huh. There was not the kind of programs that, for example, Australian Ballet have today, thanks mm. to people like David McAllister. So, yeah. I just was like, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. 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 No kidding. For sure. That so from there, sense. after that experience there at the, the end of your time at Australian Ballet School and going to university, how did you come to be Balanced Ballerina? So um, whilst I was at uni, I got a job um, in retail and I learned actually quite a few interpersonal skills doing that job, <laughs> um, as a lot of people in retail and even in hospitality sector would attest to. And, but I decided, I was like, oh, like, surely I can get a better paying job. And I remember running into not my old dance teacher, but someone, an old dance teacher that I'd come across once. And she said, oh, Georgia, you're back. I heard you're back from Melbourne. Like, are you interested in teaching a ballet class? And I was like, hell no. <laughs> no, I'm fine. I don't teach. And then I remember saying to my mom, I was like, mom, like I was offered, you know, this teaching job with 
um, with Joe and, and she goes, well, why didn't you take it? And I was like, uh, because like I've left that world behind. And she goes, well, I think you'd be surprised. I think it's probably a lot better money than what you're making now. And, um, and I, you know, sent her a text and I said, oh, what if, what if I am interested? <laughs> How many classes do you want me to teach? And, you know, what's, what's the go? What's the paying rate for, for dance teachers? And I almost fell out of my chair. I mean, at the time it's, it was, no, it's nothing now, like, you know, $25 mm-hmm. for an hour. I mean, my yeah. teachers certainly get a lot more than that now, <laughs> but $25 back then was like huge. And yeah. especially for a uni student. So mm-hmm. it actually allowed me to do uni without working crazy, crazy hours. So I could really focus on my studies. So instead of working, you know, like 20 hours a week, I could work, you know, 10 and still yeah. be earning the same amount of money. So it, it was really good. And that's something that I also tell my students who are doing their certificate in dance, for example, that, you know, if you don't plan on being a professional dancer, like, that's great, fantastic. Um, you can, if you, you know, if you develop some skills in teaching whilst you're studying univer- at university, you can work half the amount of time for just the same amount of money and have more time yeah. to study. So, you know, if that's something that they want to do, but it's a good option to have. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then from there, I think I, I taught there for quite a while. Um, and I had a little bit of a, a short uh, PR and, and marketing role at a couple of different companies. So I, <laughs> speaking about having more time to study, typical me put a lot on my plate in my last year of uni. <laughs> I, had, I had my final year of uni. I had uh, my dance teaching role at two different studios. I took an internship at AFL Queensland. Um, so AFL, do you know what AFL is in Australia? It's like footy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually ended up um, um, sort of shadowing the communications officer for the entire AFL Queensland. And that was massive. I learned so much about wow. media and so much about dealing with talent and and um, running events and all sorts of things. And then I landed a job out of all things, this is so random, doing the marketing and PR and liaising with clients um, for a brewery. So- That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? Still to this day, I say it is one of the best jobs I ever had. I love (laughs) it. Yeah, so it was so good. And so I picked up, it was a small business at the time, Burley Brewing Company, and now it's actually a massive business. And so I was, I was sort of there at the time that it was becoming really big. And so I learned a lot from the uh, founder and um, she sort of taught me a lot just from me watching her. And I'd been teaching for a while. And then one day I went into her office and I said, hey, Peter, look, I'm really sorry because um, she was sort of grooming me to be a big part of the business. And I went, I'm so sorry, but you have inspired me so much through, you know, watching you grow your company that I want this. I want this for myself. Like I want to, I want a little baby. I want to, you know, I want to be the founder of something. And yeah. I think I'm going, and she goes, well, what are you going to do then? And I was like, I think I'm going to open a dance studio. <laughs> and, you know your um, background? Yes, yes, they did. I know that all the people at the brewery thought it was hilarious that I was like an (laughs) ex-ballerina. They thought it was hilarious because I used to sort of, um, uh, you know how ballerinas just run very Mm -hmm. differently to normal humans? Like a gazelle? 
Yes. So I would, I would gazelle across one side of the brewery to the other, carrying massive like cartons of beer. And they were like, how do you do that so gracefully? <laughs> and I would sort of treat it as like a workout. Uh-huh. And, um, and yeah, so everyone used to make fun of that. But um, yeah, and, and then just from there, you know, I, I made a business plan. I gave it to my parents. I said, I'm going to need this amount of money to start. And I was originally going to start out of community halls. Um, but then I just so happened to come across the perfect space um, and my parents were like, you know, it was zoned correctly. I don't know what, what zoning's like over there, but we've got really yeah. strict zoning laws. Yeah. And so it's really important. There's something like in the area that I'm in about 60 dance schools or something. So you have to, mm. you know, ensure you have the correct zoning because what happens is other dance teachers will dob new ones in so that they're closed oh, down. Yes. Yeah, so it's see. pretty cutthroat. Yeah. Yikes. So my parent. Yeah. So this this building was miraculous that it had the Craig zoning, and um, they went, "Let's do it." And I was like, "Are you sure?" And they're like, "Georgia, you've just chewed out ear off for years about this." Yeah. Come on, like, so, <laughs> um, yeah. But it's really funny though. Like, you know how I was saying before about my mum just being like, not a ballet mum, not a dance mum. You mm-hmm. know, not. She'd be shocked. I remember, I remember doing a competition in Sydney and she was like, I said, oh, you're going to come? And she goes, nah, you'll be fine. You know, there was, you know, something like a thousand, you know, I went with my dance teacher and there was something like a thousand students doing this competition in Sydney. Mm. And the finals were at the uh, Sydney Opera House with, you know, seven. And each day I'd call her and go, hey, mum, um, I made it to the next round. Hey, mum, I made it to the next round. And then I finally called her and went, hey, mum, I'm actually in the top finals. And she's like, what? So she got in the car and drove from the Gold Coast to Sydney. And it's not oh that goodness. she didn't, be- yeah, it's not that she didn't believe in me. It's yeah. that, and I think, I think it's a good thing. She just, there was no expectations. It was just, you do you and good luck. I'm here to support you um, in any way that you need. Um, but I, I liked that. And she still did that to this day. So I remember giving her my mm. business plan. We're driving around. We find this warehouse. And she goes, Georgia, before we sign, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you don't want to just have a normal job? You're having a great yeah. time at Burley Brewing Company. <laughs> like, like, why do you want this stress? You know, because my parents have always owned their own business. And mm. she goes, you could have an easier life. <laughs> she goes, do you really yeah. want to do this? And, you know, they've always checked with me along the way do you really want to do this? And I think you need people like that in your life because I think sometimes people yeah. find themselves in situations where they're like, oh gosh, I really didn't want this. And so I'm really glad that my parents, like I'm I'm so lucky. I have the best parents and they're just always That's checking great. along the way. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> you know, that reminds me, we had um, Dr. Lucy Clements, the, the dance psychologist on um, a couple of weeks ago. And she was talking about parenting styles in young dancers. Mm. And your mom sounds like the exact kind of parenting style that we that Lucy really encourages. So that seemed like she was focusing you on your process and not like the end result necessarily. Like she yeah. just wanted to make sure you were having fun and enjoyed it. And no big deal if you don't get the gold medal or the big contract or whatever. So I think that's really wonderful. Oh, it's, it's so important. And I mean, as a teacher today, I come across students where it's very obvious that the parent wants it more than the child. And Mm -hmm. that's really, really hard. 
that's so difficult to navigate because I have found over the years, there's not much you can say to change that. And all you can do is sort of, you know, be a, a sense of comfort for that student. And sort of, I found myself then talking to the student and being like, what do you want? And, you know, if yeah. I'm in the conversation with the parent and the child, and the parents going, oh, we want this and we want that and I want that. And I will turn to face the child and very deliberately go, and what do you want? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. that's all you can sort of do in that situation. And the parent either takes the hint or they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking of this culture that you're building there in your studio, then really focused on the dancer, it sounds like, tell us a little bit about what what is that how would you define your studio culture and how you've fostered that over the years um it's building culture it sounds easy it is so hard my studio now so i opened it in 2013 so i was 23 at the time and i thought i knew everything as all 23 year olds do and I didn't know anything. <laughs> so, um, but I found that I'm actually finally in a phase of the studio. So it's nine years old now where I think I've got it. Like I, I think, I don't know, in 10 years time, in 10 years time, I might go, no, I don't, I don't, I didn't have it at all. But right now I yeah. do feel like the, the culture of the studio is reaching a point of, being in a place where I always envisioned it to be, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how to build it though. I mean, it's just, a it's very slow and steady. I feel like sometimes when people start a business, it's like, this is the culture and these are our mottos and we, you know, pop them up on the wall and, and everyone has to jump on board. It doesn't really work like that. You have to, you know, um, take real baby steps and almost, very organically and very slowly seep it mm -hmm. into everyone's you know um existence at the studio and then it also evolves like it also changes yeah. you know it, it also changes you can change your mind um took me a, a while to, to you know realize that I can change my mind about things too um yeah mm -hmm. so I'm yeah. thinking I'm thinking primarily of the episode you did recently about um, should should we how should we think about uniforms and mm. and things like that and that really I was just I remember I was walking around my house wearing my ear pods and cleaning as I usually do when I'm listening to a podcast and I was just stopped in my bedroom I was making my bed and I said yes Georgia <laughs> <laughs> I love it because because you were really arguing with yourself. You guys, if you haven't listened to this episode for Georgia, we're going to plug her show at the end. So don't worry. Um, but she was really arguing with herself. Like, do we need to be this strict? What are the real reasons? Why is it just tradition? Are there practical reasons? Um, but it really was nice to hear a studio owner having that conversation with themselves because so often we run into studio owners with that fixed mindset who say, well, this is the tradition for the last hundred years or whatever, and it has to be this way. And the only good reason I can give you is because it's always been that way. So um, it was really refreshing yeah. to hear you talk about the, the evolution of your dress code, but I think that's a reflection on the evolution of your studio culture as well. 
Yeah, I, um, I'm glad you enjoyed me arguing with myself for how long does that go for? I think 40 minutes. Great. I loved it. <laughs> I had so many people message me and go, as I was listening to the episode, I was like, yes, yes. And then you'd change your argument and I'd go, oh, yes, no, I agree with that too. And and yeah. and by the and they're like, by the time I finished listening, I was exhausted because I was like, what do I even think anymore? And I was like, join the club. I have no idea too. Yeah. I think as a ballet teacher and many ballet teachers will nod along to this right now, you, especially if you're a studio owner and you're a studio owner of a predominantly ballet studio, which, which I am, that takes a lot of work like building the culture of a ballet school, that takes so much work because there is a real sense of um, holiness of the dance studio, you know, the sanctity of the dance studio and the rules yeah. and, the, and, the, and the practices that, that come with, with, you know, entering that sacred space. You know, I, I love talking about the ballet studio like that because it really is, it's like no other. And those unwritten rules, you know, have to be learned over time if you're starting from scratch. And I remember, you know, back in the early days, finishing a day of work, calling my mom, because my mom's my business partner too. And so when I called her and I'd be like, mom, oh my gosh, like the hair was messy and this one didn't have the right leotard and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I was so annoyed by it because it just drove me insane. And so I've worked for nine years to get a studio where my students are so proud of how they dress and how they mm. groom themselves. And I've got that now. And then I start questioning yeah. that uniform. And so it's so frustrating because it's like, I've just spent nine years trying to get my students to dress immaculately mm. in the exact way that I want them to look. And then now all of a sudden I'm going, should I even be making them look the way that I want them to look? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I've, I've got to this point where it's like, oh my gosh, now I have to re possibly rethink this. And mm -hmm. as you would have heard in that episode, arguing with myself about, you know, why, why does, why do my students have to wear such tight clothing and such, uh, you know, certain cut leotards and you no know, skirts and whatnot, but then my adult ballerinas can look just as beautiful wearing, <laughs> let's call it um, chic homelessness. <laughs> no, only some of them, only some of them. And I love them too. But, you know, having yeah. beautiful, you know, there's nothing that, that makes me happier than seeing a beautiful, you know, bunch of 12-year-olds in their uniforms. But nothing mm -hmm. also makes me happier than seeing a class of adult ballerinas with their new Cloud and Victory t-shirt and their Ruby yeah. wear leggings and their, you know, beautiful Demi Point dancewear skirts and and just all of the, the fashion that they bring into the classroom. Yeah. Um, and I just was like, why is it different? And it's so funny when I was pondering this, I'd recently put up a photo of some jazz students at my studio and one of my best buds texted me and she goes, hey, Georgia, just wondering, and she's not part of the dance world at all. She goes, I'm just wondering, why why do your jazz students, why are they allowed to wear shorts over their leotard? And why do your ballet students have to wear the leotard? And of course, this text came through just as I was literally <laughs> preparing this pod particular podcast episode. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And when I got that text, I sort of thought that's almost a sign of from the universe that I really do need to think about this quite deeply and come mm -hmm. to a happy medium because it's really hard. I mean, students do have to, I mean, as you would have heard, my argument is that I guess if students are going to do ballet exams, they have to be prepared for that. 
you know, you can't wear, you know, all the fashions of the dance world and then all of a sudden be stripped to the bare minimum. I mean, that would be a shock to the system. Right. But then I also think, and something that I try and instill, you know, so deeply within my culture at the studio is practicing and being happy in the body that you have today. And so is it a, you know, it's almost like a, did the chicken or the egg, you know, like what, what came first? It's like, do we work on the uniform or do we work on body positivity or is it a combination of both? Yeah. Because I would actually hate for a student to go from the, you know, tight fitting uniform to, yes, you're allowed to now wear a big t-shirt and a long skirt and cover everything up. If they've still then got those body issues, do you know what I mean? Because right. that to yeah. me is almost like a band-aid. It's not fixing like it anything. Gives them, yeah, like practically gives permission in a sense to feel okay covering yourself up instead of being okay how, how you show up naturally. Exactly. Exactly. What a catch 22. So, exactly. And so this is why the conversation around dance uniforms, especially ballet uniforms, just makes me a little bit crazy (laughs) I keep just going around in circles and I've come to the conclusion that I think it's just a bit of both so I mean for example for listeners uh at my studio at the moment at the moment currently in uh 2021 they are (laughs) because who knows when you'll be listening to this and I could have changed your mind next week um yeah they're allowed to wear I made this rule now that you know they can wear and it's so small and it's so simple but they can wear their skirts whenever they want. So they used to only be able to wear their skirts uh, for some center practice and some dances, which is in line with their um, their exam. So when they put their skirt on in their exam, their Vaganova exam, but um, now it's, you can wear your skirt whenever you want at the bar, you know, in the center, doing whatever. And they seem really happy with that. So, and yeah. I think that'll evolve over time and, it's it's I mean to a normal person you'd be like oh is that all you changed but that's a big mm-hmm. deal at a ballet oh, yeah. studio absolutely yeah, there was something else that you and you've spent a whole episode on this but um, <laughs> incorporating some period positivity into the studio and normalizing it and um, giving some a little bit of leeway as well um, I think that is so 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 important and I I definitely know I would have benefited from that type of culture when I was a Mm. preteen and teenager so talk a little bit about um now that you've made these changes it's been a couple of weeks right um Mm. so like what what was the reaction of both the kids and what was the reaction of the parents and were there any differences yeah well it's actually been um it's been a couple of months now because I I usually try and test these things out quite well in advance before I go and talk about it um yeah I had an overwhelming response from parents and students I received and I think I read one of them out at the end of the podcast one of the most beautiful emails from one of my students going and she's very shy and she probably actually would have never come up to me in class because she would have been too afraid to say this to my face. Not that I'm scary, but just she's just that kind of student, you know, she doesn't say that much. And she sent me the most beautiful email being like, thank you so much, Georgia. You know, these changes, um, you know, albeit small, are going to, 
you know, make a huge impact on how I feel about my body in the studio. And one of the um, changes we made was that the students can now wear a cap sleeve leotard if they want. So, and it doesn't sound like much, but we chose a design that uh, sits quite high at the back so that you can wear a, a fully supported bra underneath. And she said, you know, that's going to be life-changing for her. So, and I think that's it's really fantastic. important. Yeah. And I think it's really important too that, that, you know, as a white, relatively small female, you know, that doesn't, you know, that has a, I got boobs, but they're not massive. <laughs> I, I need to put myself and my mind into other students' bodies and, mm. and have a think about potentially how they feel. Um, I've, I've got a, a um, new student actually from Egypt and yeah. she um, needed more coverage. So that was a conversation that I had with her parents and she, you know, wasn't, her parents weren't happy with the shorter skirt. So we decided to, and, and it was, it was a really tricky one because she, um, they won't mind me talking about this. So she was very um, adamant that she still felt like a ballerina, you know, mm. and her parents mm -hmm. wanted her to wear long pants and so we had to do lots of backwards and forth. And I'm talking about two weeks of back and forth with her parents yeah. about coming to a, a happy medium because mm -hmm. as her ballet teacher, I was almost fighting <laughs> for her, but her parents, you know, have these religious values that are also coming into play. And it's a really difficult conversation to navigate, but it's a conversation that I think is your responsibility if you're going to be in this situation as a teacher, as a studio owner. And so yeah. we came to the conclusion that she's going to wear our beautiful cap sleeve leotard because it fully covers lots of coverage. She's got like a th like a three quarter sort of um, black legging on over the top, and then a full skirt. So her skirt goes down to her knees. Um, and you know what? And she's so happy and she looks absolutely divine in class. She's Aww. just, it's just beautiful. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's just, and I think I said in that episode too, it's one of those things because it's not like a, here's the rules, everybody, and download them from my website. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it, and it's a conversation that you have to sit down with your students and have and have that conversation with the parents too. And, and it's gonna keep evolving. And I think that's what I said to all our parents in the email when we stated these are the changes we're going to make. That we know it's not perfect, but it's a step and it's gonna keep evolving and we'll keep you updated. And that's all you can do. That, it just sounds like such a beautiful reflection of exactly what we just had another episode about this open and honest and transparent dialogue between teachers and parents and students. And just that it's all a conversation. It's a conversation, it's dialogue, it's, it's being willing to have the conversation, but then also being willing to hear the feedback and come to a middle ground yeah. and find a compromise. And I, and I think for any dance teachers or studios listening, one thing I've learned, and I was not perfect at this, like back at the start, not at all. I was very reactive. So I would wait until mm. the problem arose and I would react to it. Whereas now I actually try and predict and act before something has happened. So, yeah. you know, I could have waited until we had students in tears or an angry email from a parent saying our uniforms weren't inclusive. And then, you know, 
reacted and made these rules. But I think it's really important to sort of take some time to reflect on your studio and take some time to, um, and, you know, I guess, I guess these are tips about building culture. You know, you need to reflect on your practices, on how you do things and constantly learn and constantly think of how can I do this better? And then I think as you do that, the culture more organically develops, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm yeah, absolutely. not making much no. sense. <laughs> and, no, and with that, sense. Yeah, and with that, when you're talking about, you know, you're implementing these changes and the dancers are giving this feedback from a technical standpoint, right? You mentioned Vaganova exams, Vaganova being, it sounds like the system that your school is with. That's what I grew yeah. up with as well. So when you're making these uniform changes, for a system that is previously, you know, has a long standing tradition of being very strict, you could say, and their expectations. How, what has that been like for the students? In my mind, I just feel like that opens an opportunity for their confidence to grow and then their technique is better. And then they're feeling more creative artistically. I, I see a domino effect, but I don't know if that's how it plays out in, in the studio. What does that look like in real life for you guys? Um, I'd like to, I'd like to think our students are really happy. I, I do. I mean, we obviously have this, you know, some of the same problems that other studios have with, with students' confidence and their, um, their sometimes inability to self-regulate and talk about things. You know, I definitely have students where I've, I mean, as a podcast host, as a very much a conversational, let's get to the bottom of this person, Sometimes I'm the worst nightmare as a dance teacher because I'll be like, let's talk about this. Come on, like open up to me. And I'm like, <laughs> the student is like, I don't want to talk to you, Miss Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> so stop psychoanalyzing me. Um, and I, I need to, you know, learn to <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes I, like I remember once sitting down with them after um, oh, about the uniforms. So, and they were sort of, I mean, my students are just used to me now. They're rolling their eyes going, oh, here we go. Another Miss Georgia chat. What's she changing now? What's her big idea? <laughs> so they're, um, they're just used to me, but I mean, I do, I, I am very, what's the word? I'm actually very proud. Like I'm very proud of, of our students and our culture. And I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what we've built you know I say we it's not just me my mum she's a massive part of this um she should I always tell her she should have been a psychologist because and I think I think that's one of the keys to a successful dance studio is having someone at your front desk who is available and open and offers advice without judgment but also really stomps on any kind of gossiping or any kind of bullying. You know, we have a foyer, and actually I'm about to do an episode on this, talking about strictly, so random, <laughs> dance school foyers. While you say that is so random and so small, mm. oh, there's a lot yep. that happens in a dance studio foyer. So much. Well, I'll tell you how our foyer runs. And I think this is a huge part of, you know, building culture. Our foyer is small and originally it used to annoy me so much and I used to be like why can't we have more room and rows of seats for everyone to sit in and yada 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 and and it used to actually annoy me 
don't tell my mother this, guys. I'm just going to tell it on a port- podcast. But it used to annoy me that she was there all the time. And I'm like, mom, just go home. Like, <laughs> we hang out all day. Like, it's seven o'clock at night. You can go home now. <laughs> you know, I can handle the classes, you know, the rest of the classes. And over the last like, probably five years, I've actually realized how important it is to have that front office person that is keeping check and an eye on everything. And I'm not talking about just the parents, I'm talking about mainly the students. So I will be privy to conversations where there's a child sitting on the floor near the foyer talking to another one and she will say, I hate so-and-so or um, say something which isn't very nice. And my mum will go, excuse me, girls, we don't use the word hate, you know, you know, and, and she'll just be really, you know, if a child says something that's a little bit bullying, girls, you know, let's have a chat. Why do you feel that way? You probably shouldn't be talking about your friend like that. How would you feel if they spoke to you like that? And she has those conversations, you know, half a dozen every day. And so whenever someone, you know, whenever we get new students and they've, they've come from another studio and, and they say, oh, yeah, she loves to dance, but there was just so much bullying going on. Or, you know, some of the stories I hear are just awful. And I'm like, we have never had that. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. And I actually put it down to our foyer being really, really small and not having the space for parents and students to sort of chat amongst themselves where we can't hear what they're talking about. And it's something so simple, but I feel like, many and actually many studios probably would have experienced this now with COVID because they can't have parents and students just sitting in the foyer so it actually takes a lot of the the nonsense out of the equation if that makes sense it's something so simple I've I've heard that from other studio owners in my area that like it seems like the 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 chatter you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) the bullying type chatter has has really gone down a lot because of that so that's yeah. definitely really, really interesting. So we're, we're talking about language as far as the kids go, but I'd like to kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about language in the studio as far as how we're speaking to the students, how you're giving corrections, and if there are any things that you have changed over the years and then seen a good result out of, out of that practice. Yeah. Um. I think I recently said this in an Instagram post the other day, but I feel like with teaching where a lot of people go wrong is they teach how they were taught. Now, if I taught how I was, you know, taught as a young dancer, oh my gosh, I would be in so much trouble. I think it's really important to understand that your teaching style will actually evolve. I mean, we're always, we're actually, this is a huge topic of this podcast, isn't it? Just everything, knowing that, you know, things evolve. You know, when I was a 23-year-old, I was a little bit of a yeller. Like I was just doing what I was told and how, you know, and replicating the behavior and the teaching style that, that I grew up with. And I quickly realized that, you know, that was not serving my purpose or my goals or the culture that I wanted. It was really funny. I had these big ideas, you know, what what the culture of my studio today has definitely evolved, but it's something that has remained same since the age of 23 when I opened my studio. But I wasn't actually reflecting that. And I very quickly learned through trial and error what works and what doesn't. 
And I think one thing that is really important is to remember that the way, because, you know, ballet is so, I mean, maybe not so much in COVID times, but ballet is so hands-on and touch. And I think it's really important about, I think it's really important how you touch a student because you are transferring energy from one person to another. One thing that I've definitely tried to do in the last couple of years is use less, and I mean, I know this is a podcast, but I'm using fingers, less pointy fingers and more teddy bear hands. So very much if I am trying to get a student to turn their leg out, I use a flat palm. I won't use a finger and drag it across, which is, you Mm -hmm. know, the way that a lot of dance teachers and certainly my dance teachers growing up did. Yeah. And something, it, it can be the most simple things that make the world of difference. So I highly recommend no fingers, teddy bear hands. Yes. <laughs> and especially when you're teaching adults to only, I actually only really do hands-on corrections with adults that have been coming to my classes for a really long time that are very, very comfortable with me. And I don't come up from the behind them. I definitely come around the side so they can see that I'm there. And you're almost gently asking for permission um, without explicitly going, do you give, you know, <laughs> do you <Yeah>. have, <laughs> do you give me permission to touch you? Because as we all know, as teachers, you've got to do things quickly in a class. But right. uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to talk about. I think it's just a skill that you develop over time um, through trial and error. And in regards to language, um, that's something that I constantly check myself with. Um, There's definitely still today that words I use that I'm trying to use different words for. Um, For example, I have been searching for a way to describe, you know, pulling up through your tummy and engaging your core to little ones. Mm-hmm. And I've recently raised, I've recently used one, which seems to be getting some results is I get them to pretend they're holding a little marble because it's really hard for tiny ones to think about their core. Like it's really hard for them. They're like, what is that? I have no idea. An apple yeah. core? Like they yeah. have no idea. So we get a little <laughs> marble and we pop it in our belly button and then we go three, two, one to let go of the imaginary marble and they got to hold the marble in their belly button. And that sort of is a way of describing their core. Yeah, they, they say, it seems to work with them. They like it, but it's a way of describing using your core without actually saying, you know, suck your tummy in or, you know, uh, my, my ballet teacher used to say to me, I can see what you had for lunch. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> yes, I know. Oof. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just a constant battle because, I mean, it's really hard. You are talking about the body. You know, you as a as a dance teacher, you're looking at students' body bodies, and you're essentially analyzing and critiquing them. And that sounds really harsh. <laughs> Even me just yeah. saying that, you're looking at your clients' bodies and you're analyzing and critiquing them, and asking it to and not I, look yeah. the way it looks. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's you know phrasing things like instead of going, why can't you do that? It's how about we try this? And so that phrasing is really, really important, but I can, and I, I know, you know, I 
can totally relate to this in the heat of the moment sometimes something comes out of your mouth and you're like oh my god I can't believe I just said that and personally in my mind sometimes in the heat of the moment when I've said something and it hasn't come out right I'm like oh my god I can't believe I just said that and I have an entire podcast and brand all about not saying things like that (laughs) and so it's really tricky it's really tricky But I think in that moment too, if I ever do say things like that, I then stop myself and I go, and especially with, you know, that tween and teenage group, oh, girls, you know, Miss Georgia shouldn't have worded it like that. What's better ways I can, you know, word that? And I think sometimes teachers are a little bit afraid to learn with the students. And I think that's actually the key, just to learn with the students. And if you mess up and if you say something that really came out wrong, explain it and perhaps quickly workshop it in you know yeah for a couple of minutes in front of them and go how could I have worded that better sorry girls that came out really wrong yeah <laughs> and absolutely yeah. and so much of that is just allowing it to progress yes. instead of this perfection right if you go about trying to stay body positive and you know be inclusive with the words coming out of your mouth if you can't even try if you're not going to be perfect well you're gonna you're gonna slip up right until yeah. Will there be a day where you speak perfectly every moment of every class? Maybe not, but that's okay. Yeah. I think it's like you're saying, just when you have the intention behind your words to convey compassion and understanding with your students. And like you said, just being honest, you're like, oh, that came out wrong. Let's, you know, just having that dialogue with them. It can take even 30 seconds out of your class. It just has yeah. to be something that you can address it and move on with class, you know? And I think that's, yeah an important way to help integrate it. Yeah. And just inviting the students to be part of the process. Like Absolutely. that's a, that's a huge key. You don't have to walk into the, the studio and be perfect. You don't have to walk in and be afraid to make a mistake. Cause I think sometimes after these types of conversations, then teachers, including myself can sometimes walk in and go, I'm afraid to even open my mouth right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But to be, you know, to be inviting with the students that, that, you know, they're part of your development as a teacher too. They're, they're actually the most important part. Right. I see that also too with adult ballet programs. And I know we mentioned it a little mm. bit before, but going back towards that direction, um, obviously there's more dialogue available. I feel like sometimes since those are adults as well, everyone has, you know, a different level of maturity there when you're talking about body image and these things. And consent to touch and all, you know, everyone's a little more on the same page in that sense. For those classes that you teach, you mentioned the way touch has evolved with how you work with adult students. What are some language changes that you've done for the adult students and kind of being able to foster that welcoming environment when you're talking about adults? Yeah, so adults are a whole nother ballgame. And I think where people go wrong with adults is that they teach them like they teach the children. And it's completely different. Like I remember watching an adult class that I wasn't teaching and they were describing something down the corner as fairy runs. Now, when you're teaching adults and you're trying to make them feel graceful and feel accomplished and you know you want to use more mature language than fairy runs and one of the big questions that I constantly get from other teachers is how how do you teach adults Georgia how do you get so many people in your class and I think my biggest tip is actually just treating them like adults I mean they're adults yeah like they're and and, and 
<laughs> like it's 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 honestly as simple as that. Um, I think also what I find myself doing in almost every adult class that I teach is just constantly reminding them to practice in the body that they're currently in. So for example, in an adult class, you know, you can have a 23 year old up to an 83 year old. Um, and the 23 year old is obviously going to be moving very differently to the 83 year old. So you have to be really careful about your language and you can't say, I want more, you can say energy, but you can't say certain things and you have to describe things like, give me more breadth in that movement or um, let's really dance this time, you know, or how does that feel in your body? So reminding them to, you know, um, tap back into themselves because what a lot of adults do and I find children do far less of this um, is actually really comparing themselves to everyone else in the room and so I constantly and it's actually quite abrupt and sometimes comes out a bit rude actually is I say to everyone <laughs> if I feel in the room that they're getting a bit tense about perhaps we're up to grand allegro or a corner exercise or something uh -huh. and they're they're getting very um um, comparative with each other and I will remind them hey guys get over yourselves no one's looking at you they are concentrating on themselves so and I say yeah. to them I'm like if anyone is looking at anyone you're all looking at me so I'm the only one who should be worried right now <laughs> and so and then That's they all have one. a giggle yeah they all have a giggle and they're like oh okay all good yeah <laughs> so they I just, love that I, yeah, I do find with adults, they are a little bit more sensitive and you need to be a little bit more and in the most beautiful way because, you know, they come with life experience. They come with um, a set of challenges that, that, that children just don't, don't have. Um, they come with life experience. And so, you know, you've, I've got clients that have um, PTSD and you've got to learn to manage that. I've got clients where they're coming in, it's their first ballet class. I've got clients that are coming in who they were a professional dancer and they're coming in and expecting their leg to be up around their ear and it's not. And, and then they're sad about that. And so I get sad about that too, which my leg went where it was when I was 15, but it just doesn't. Yeah. You have to be practicing every day in the body that you currently have that day. And a really big part of that is adults who come after having a baby, you know, I don't know what that feels like, but because I don't have children, but I can imagine that feels very bizarre and very foreign, you know, losing your pelvic floor, losing those core muscles and having a body that, you know, just doesn't feel like yours at the, you know, at the time. And so reminding them, to practice in that body that they currently have and just being a little bit more um, comfortable and learning to love it as it is that day. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Oh. It's, it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think I, I definitely hear that, Georgia, when I, when I hear you speak about your adult program, I hear that attitude in almost everything that you say. And I, I'd like to add too that it seems like I, I'm. First of all, I need to take your class, number one. <laughs> um, but I can only I'd make an inference, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I can only make an assumption now because I haven't been in your class. But not only, I feel like by you being so vulnerable, 
not only are you encouraging them to dance in the body that they have, but to also find joy in the body that they have, regardless of what, how high their leg is or how many pirouettes they can do or how high their jump is or, or any of that. And just removing not only the comparison between each other, but also the comparison in their mind of what they should be doing. Guys, I'm holding up my finger quotes right now and <laughs> what they think they should be doing and what they are doing and actually finding joy in that movement that in that day. And I just think that is yeah. so, so beautiful and, and can be very difficult for some people. But if you have a, an open environment and a culture that facilitates that, it's just going to grow. Yeah. I mean, I certainly try guys. <laughs> I try. <laughs> And, and I don't want anyone to think that, you know, sometimes when I do a podcast episode or shoot off an Instagram post, it, you know, sometimes I, I'm aware that sometimes it sounds like I have all the answers and I, and I really don't. And I try and, I try and make that clear that I don't, I'm, it's constant evolving process. And yeah, there's sometimes I finish an adult class and I really regret saying something I said or an exercise I did or, or how I handled something, um, gosh, especially last year with everything that happened during COVID times, you know, it was an absolute nightmare. I found myself so on edge and I didn't feel like I was being the teacher that I wanted to be because I had so many other things going on in the back of my mind uh, that, that took my focus away from giving the best class I could possibly give. Um, starting to feel myself again and <laughs> get back into the swing of things, but oh. it's really hard. And I think when I first started down this teaching path is that um, one of my big goals was to be really consistent. So I remember having teachers where I would enter the classroom and it would be like, you know, I wonder if they had a good weekend because we all know if they didn't, she's going to absolutely rip us to shreds this week. Or I used to have a teacher at the first full-time school I went to who um, every day was different. She was up and down and, and it really reflected in how she taught us that day. And it was exhausting because not only are we having to think about our training, but we're also now having to add on that layer of is our teacher in a good mood? And so yeah. I find that, that I really do make sure and I'm pretty proud of myself for doing this. I do think I'm really consistent. A lot of people don't really know if I'm having a bad day um, and that can be incredibly draining, which is why all dance teachers need those two weeks break <laughs> in between terms to, to let yeah. yourself feel, because that is one thing that I'm, I'm working on is trying to find more outlets where I can sort of let go a little bit because I have created this way of teaching where I walk in and everything's left at the door. Um, but I think that's also key to making students come back because imagine if you had a new student that day and their first class with you was when you were in a foul mood, <laughs> your client's not going to come back. So um, yeah. I think consistency is key. But it seems like even, even though you've got, you've got that handled, which I think is great because kids, especially young ones really thrive on consistency yeah. and structure. It also seems like you've left, you've left the studio door open for them to still be themselves and, not have the pressure that they have to be perfect. And um, I think that's also so, so important. And we're mm. all grateful for, I'm sure your students are so grateful for that. Um, so before <laughs> we let you go, um, 
just really quickly, what changes have you seen in yourself over time? You've touched on this a little bit, but any final thoughts on any changes you've seen in yourself over time as your program has become more inclusive? Like Ooh, the ways you think, think about things, the way you think about ballet, the way you approach um, teaching. <laughs> a huge one for me is body image. I mean, one of the reasons why I left Aussie Ballet in the first place was because I got to a point in my career as a pre-professional ballerina that I hated the body that I was in. And I find that especially having a studio over the last you know, 10 years, I have slowly um, come to terms. It's funny, I've just spent, you know, 10 minutes talking about practicing in the body that you have today, while simultaneously I've been trying to do the exact same thing. <laughs> and perhaps that's why I'm so passionate about reminding my students, because at the same time as reminding them, I'm reminding myself. So, I can safely say that finally, as a 30 year old, I'm pretty <laughs> happy. And I'm, and I realize that, you know, my body has changed. It's not what it was as a 16 year old. Um, I'm very thank angry goodness. when I, oh, thank goodness. I mean, gosh, imagine <laughs> if I still had a 16 year old body, <laughs> I'd look like a baby. Cause actually it's, it's really funny. And you bring this up and it makes me a little bit hot and heavy and a little bit angry because I do look at photos of myself as a 13, 14, 15 and 16 year old where I had teachers telling me that my body was too muscular, that my body was too um, soft, that my body, which is hilarious. I mean, yeah, apparently I, I was too muscular that. and too soft and pudgy <laughs> at the same time. Um, but you know, and your thighs are overdeveloped and your calves are overdeveloped and your chest is overdeveloped. Well, they're called boobs. So, and they're coming in. And so, you know, and, and having somebody constantly critique you like that. And I thought I was enormous. And I look back at these photos and I am so tiny and it's, it just makes me so angry because I had such a different view of my own body. And I think now you know, and what people don't realize is that sometimes I look at photos and I go, oh, that's me. Like I, that's not what I thought I looked like. Um, mm -hmm. And I think finally at the age of 30, I definitely have my days where I still, you know, can go into the studio and be very uncomfortable in my, in my skin. And that's for whatever reason, who knows, you know, <laughs> someone may have said a passing comment, um, maybe that time of the month, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just not feeling it that day. But I am that those days become less and less. Does that make sense? And yeah. so I think when I think about my evolution of myself in the ballet world, um, it's very heavily focused on my body and my relationship to it. Because as a dancer, you know, your relationship with your body, your body is your tool. And so it's really, really important. And I finally don't skip breakfast and I finally eat the piece of cake at a birthday party if I feel like it. Um, I have that third or fourth glass of wine if I want it. <laughs> um, and I don't put these strange limitations on me that I've just made up. Yeah, um, yeah so 
Um, I love it. That's nice. And I hope that that filters through into my students and, and I hope, you know, everyone's going to have their thing, but I, I hope that I can alleviate and assist them with, you know, being comfortable in their skin in a leotard and tights as much as I possibly can. Yes. Lovely. Sounds like you are. I hope so. <laughs> it's my mission. So, so we've got one last question for you before we wrap up. What advice would you give yourself as a young dancer? Um, can I answer this in sort of two parts? So for sure. I would have actually told her to keep doing what she's doing and stop listening to artistic staff and that she will have a phenomenal career as a professional ballerina because her body is extremely athletic. She can jump so high. She can do all of the things and to not, you know, to find some role models who have a similar body to herself. So she's a bit more comfortable. <laughs> would have been great if Instagram was around back in the day. I, I keep saying that all the time. I really do think it would have been good. You know, social media has its negatives, but a positive would have been able to see bodies like myself. Yeah. Um, you know, who had professional careers instead of being constantly focused on what I wasn't. So part A is I would have, you know, said to her to keep going because she would have been absolutely fine and she would have had an amazing career and to just ignore the artistic stuff. But part B would have been, if you don't want to be a professional ballerina right now, that is fine because you're actually going to love your life as a journalist slash ballet teacher slash studio owner slash entrepreneur. And you're going to be, you know, you can design and be the architect of your own life. So it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Just do what you want to do because everything works out in the end, doesn't it, girls? <laughs> Yeah, I've got sure I'm like here. I'm getting a little misty, Georgia. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> because, but it's, I mean, aw. it's so true. Yeah, it is. Everything works out. Yeah. Like, you know, the day that I, I remember sitting down actually recently. So, you know, like I, I, when I finished, you know, dancing and, and I had my, you know, sights set on being a journalist. And I sort of at one point thought I'd actually, because remember I told you how, I didn't get into journalism at first. And I was like, oh mm -hmm. my God, I am a failure. And that was huge for me because I'd gotten everything yeah. I ever wanted. Audition for Queensland Ballet, junior program, got into that, got into Oz Ballet, got, it, got everything I wanted. Any bursary I went for, I got it. And then all of a sudden, something really important, a massive life change, and I didn't get it. And I was like, oh yeah. my God, like all I wanted to be was a journalist. And very, very recently, I had an interview, as you may have seen in my podcast feed um, with Mary Lee, so Lee Schwing Singh, artistic director of Queensland Valley's wife, who's had an amazing career herself and has an incredible story. And I had an interview lined up with her. And the day before, I actually listened to her be interviewed on ABC Radio, which is a massive program here in Australia. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I was having like an absolute <laughs> fit because I was like, here yeah. she's just been on ABC, you know, Conversations, which is a very, you know, well-renowned uh, podcast of interviews and um very gross and, and thinking, fresh air over here I think sorry 
Sorry, it's like fresh air over here oh, at NPR. Okay. It's kind of similar, like Terry Gross yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of level. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Very like, very, you know, highbrow. And I was like, oh yeah. my God. And here she is going to sit down with me tomorrow. <laughs> Little old Georgia, annoying her with questions. And I remember like having a moment with myself. I sat down in this room, had my podcast equipment set up and I was having an absolute freak out. And then I just sort of sat back and I took a couple of breaths and I was like, hang on a second. You're doing exactly what you wanted. You're a journalist. Like just off we go. Like, come on. Like, and it was just this full circle loop where I was like, wow, like I'm doing what I always wanted, but I'm doing it in a way that I could have never imagined. Does that make sense? Because yes. it didn't oh, exist yeah. back, back then didn't when exist, you were making no. those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let alone, you know, being, I guess, sort of a dance journalist. Like that never even crossed my mind. Never mm. even crossed my mind, you know. So yeah. the world works out oh. how it's supposed to work out. That's what I'd tell Yay. little Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> love that. I love it. All right, Georgia, before we let you go, if you could please just plug all of the things that are Balanced Ballerina, where can we follow you? Where, we, where can we take classes from you? If you have virtual classes, all the things. Oh, I wish I had virtual classes, but um, I'm working <laughs> on it. Just stay okay. tuned. I'm working yeah. on it. But, um, but no, you can follow me on Instagram at The Balanced Ballerina. Um, the podcast Instagram handle is at Balanced Ballerinas. Um, there's more content. I write the blog post every now and then <laughs> on www.balanceballerinas.com. What else is there? That's about it. You can always I mean, reach me through those channels. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so, a lot of great yeah, content. You, yeah, well, if you live on the Gold Coast in Australia, or if you're passing through and visiting, like, come take an adult ballet class. Yeah, so that's my that's my joy in life. I love teaching my adults. I love my students too. But there's nothing like teaching a bunch of women who you know really want to be there. It's the best. Yeah, yeah. And well, men, Courtney and I will have to. <laughs> maybe one day, Courtney and I can. We keep talking about because we're in different states. We're like very, yeah. very far apart. And we keep talking about doing a retreat where we like do some training together and then just sort of hang out. I'm like, maybe we could do it in Australia. <laughs> oh, well, you'll have to come because I plan on doing it again this year. Um, yeah. And I, I plan on doing it every year, the Byron Bay Balanced Ballerinas mm -hmm. Retreat. And for those that mm -hmm. are listening that don't know, Byron Bay is like sort of the hippie, hippie capital of Australia. And it's just beautiful, amazing beaches, amazing food, very relaxed. You feel like you've been on 10 holidays after one day in Byron. So it's the best place. We, we had the best time last time we danced, we ate good food. We go out for dinner. I give everyone gifts and, um, and yeah, it's just the best. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Okay, Georgia. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an amazing conversation and we were so honored to have you on the show and hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, yes, thank, thank you, you so an, much. It was an absolute pleasure talking to both of you and I love your podcast too. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 <laughs>
Yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen as much of her stuff, um, but just, I mean, what I have seen reading some of her blogs and her presence on Instagram, I am just in love with her culture, everything that she is about. So hearing from her, right, putting a a real life face and voice with all of what I've heard so far, it was so inspiring to kind of see it all in action. How did you like the episode? What was a favorite moment for you? Well, I would say that what she had to say at the end about her advice that she would give herself. I mean, she was so eloquent in talking, talking to little Georgia, but for me, the most important part was how she encourages her dancers, especially her adults to dance in the body that they have, not the body they think they should have. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I myself am working on every single day. And um, I definitely have a a really long way to go with that. But to have her present it in such a beautiful way where she was being vulnerable herself and also opening the door to students, young and old, and welcoming them into a space where they can explore dancing in their body that they have now and finding joy in that. And I think that was the most powerful message Um, And it's a message, again, I'll say it again, it's a message that is sort of permeated throughout all of her episodes, no matter what she's talking about, it always comes back to allowing dancers to explore in their own bodies and and sort of get out of their heads about what they should be doing or, or comparing themselves to one another. So I thought that was really great. Yeah, I loved I loved that a lot. And I definitely related to when she was talking about now at her age, looking back at those pictures from 13, 14, 15, 16 year old, you know, baby Georgia. And when I, you know, similarly, when I've looked at younger pictures of myself and anger not being an emotion that I you know allow myself to feel very much, but sometimes feeling anger at you know, what that situation was and how I felt about my body then and recognizing like that kind of fuels a flame, so to speak, uh, you know, when you mm-hmm. see, when you think back to that and I will throw a small nugget out here. This is a little bit of a life update too, but um, I was recently on a vacation in Florida and <laughs> I'm working on my own body image things. And I had an interesting time. You know, I work, I've been working on my body image in COVID, which is nice. You're by yourself. You're in your house. You're not exposed to a bunch of other people. So you can feel good about your body. And that's great because you're the only one looking at it. And then you go to a beach and it's really tested. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting and uh, cathartic in a sense. Mm -hmm. To a point though, that I have come back from vacation, even more eager to go take an adult ballet class. (laughs) Because so much of she what she said it, you got it, it, you guys. She said it. It's on. It's on record. We've got it. It's on tape. Courtney That's is going where? to take a ballet class. Okay, tell me. I more. am. Okay, so anyway, but yeah, so so much of that is like so much of part of my hesitation that has gone back is facing myself in the mirror again because I don't look like I looked when I was fifteen, sixteen. And that's totally okay. Like, you know, I have worked through all of the things, but it's still that exposure in a sense to allow yourself to be in front of a mirror and be okay with how you stand regardless. Mm. So I'm excited. 
we'll keep you updated. I might go stand in front of a mirror at an adult ballet class and say, nope, not for another five years, but that's fine. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing. So I'll keep you guys updated Yay. what that looks like. I'm, I'm working with my friend to coordinate a time to go. Cause I feel like I just need to go sit on some Marley too. Mm. Like I know there's virtual options, but I kind of want to just go sit, sit on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> a weird thing to want. No, but, I don't think it's weird yeah. at all. I mean, you know me yeah, and my crazy it's where I'm at. memory. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, that's, I was, I was here for all of what she had to say today, for sure. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today, guys. We really hope you enjoyed this episode today. If you did, please go ahead, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts follow us on Spotify and share our podcast with your community to help us get the word out. And we might even read your review or your Instagram comment on one of our shows. So watch out for that. Also, if you have any questions, particular topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, you can always email those to us at dancebetterpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dancebetterpodcast. And to catch us in our own lanes, you can connect with me on Facebook and Strong and Struggling Zillennial Women. You can find it directly on Facebook or the link is in my Instagram bio, which is linked down in our show notes. We're talking all about how to level up your relationship with your body image, your emotional health, and your self-worth. And you can follow me on Instagram at Tech Ballet for more information on my virtual ballet programs where I integrate mindfulness work and injury prevention into each class. We approach solid technique training from a place of curiosity and not judgment. Whether you're gearing up for auditions or coming back to the bar from a long break, all are welcome. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. We will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.